Manage your oil field operations from anywhere with rigor online or offline. Whether it's scheduling and dispatching jobs, tracking employee hours, managing equipment rentals, or inspections and maintenance, you can create, review, approve, and upload all types of field tickets and agreements securely from any device. Plus, you can generate invoices same day and run powerful operation management dashboards on your desktop or phone. No paper, no errors, no headaches. Learn more at rigor.us. Link is in the show notes. Welcome to the Oil and Gas Sales and Marketing Podcast, where every week your hosts, Mark LaCour and Matt Bertram, share proven strategies and real-world tactics to help you connect with customers and close more deals. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have a guest today, but before we get to our guests, I want to talk specifically about reviews because, Matt, we did not get a review this week. Come on, people. Leave us a review. If you like it. <laughs> yep. Give us a five star if you like the show. Give us a four star if you don't. Tell us what you want us to change. And Cohen, you're a guest today. Cohen Fleming, you work for a company called Ironsight, and I've known you for a very long time. And I heard you on somebody else's podcast, and you were literally spitting words of wisdom. And it's like, how have we never gotten you on this show? So I do appreciate you taking time out today and coming on our show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That podcast was an interesting experience. You did an amazing job. We'll actually put a link in our show notes. You want to go back and listen to him. But today we're going to talk about something that we actually haven't talked about before, which is a triple win. And Cohen, you actually came up with this subject. If our audience doesn't know what a triple win is, explain it to them. Yeah. Yeah. From my perspective, a triple win, it's one of the more cost-effective ways of really trying to get your message out to exactly who your target audience is. And how you do that is you want to find, obviously, a win for yourself. We're all in business here, so we're all looking for those personal wins. But the other two are super important. So the other one's going to be your clients, who you're actually going to market for. That third win is go and find somebody who has a shared audience, shared client base, shared values, and let's go try and add some value together. An example of that for us would be like working with technology matching firms. Their whole job is to go find really good solutions for their clients who happen to be our clients. And we think we're a really good solution. Working together, all three parties, you can all come out of it better off. I love the idea. And it's actually something that we don't do enough of. And from a sales point of view, guys, what an easy way to win is when you can capitalize and basically partner up with somebody else that would also benefit from whatever prospects or clients you're bringing in. If you have part of the puzzle or part of the solution and somebody else has the other part of the solution, and then between the two of y'all, y'all help the client and now the client's happy because you helped them solve a problem. How awesome a win-win-win for everybody this is. Yeah. Yeah. I find it really keeps you focused and realizing, you know, business, it's about people. And marketing sales, it's about people. And in particular, the energy industry is very about people, very relationship-based. 100%. And it's also this industry, even though it's large and global, people know each other and they talk. And so if you do great work in this industry, word gets around and vice versa. If you do bad work in this industry, word also gets around. Cohen, I want to go a little bit deeper into this. Ironsight's not a large company, right? So you have limited resources, like a lot of our listeners do. This triple win has to be a way to help lower your cost of either client acquisition or whatever you're measuring from marketing point of view, because you're not footing all the resources by yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We want to really spend a lot of our resources on building our product, on supporting clients, you know, once they get on board. So from the marketing perspective, yeah, anything we can do that makes us just as effective without necessarily having a price tag attached to it, that's our win <laughs> right there. Yeah. 
there's a lot of low cost or sometimes zero cost solutions out there that a lot of people may not be aware of. The first thing that pops in my head is creating your own content. It takes a little bit of time, but it literally costs you nothing. And because you're the subject matter expert, that content is super viable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And especially like when you're creating that content, trying to find the right space for that in terms of where somebody is. If you're just trying to get lots of attention, that's great. That can be really effective. Yeah. When you have a more limited team creating content, maybe you want to really maximize that kind of middle of funnel, bottom of funnel experience, focusing on content there. Yeah. Well, so let me tell you, I don't know if I've ever shared this story with our audience. When I first started at Modal Point, which was 15 years ago, I read that video was going to be the next big thing. I also read that content was to be the next big thing as far as ranking organically and social. I got confused between engagement and the ability for companies to buy from me. So I started creating content and the people that would respond, that would engage, that would like it, that would reply back. I learned what they like to do. And so I created more and more content for the, my audience, the, the engaged part of my audience. What I didn't know, Cohen, is I built this huge following of people that could never buy from me because the people that could buy from me, the VPs and the senior VPs and the directors are not the ones that are on Twitter going, yeah, that was an awesome post. I love that you brought that up. So be real careful, marketing teams out there in making sure that you're attracting the people that can buy from you, that can partner with you, and not just the people that are engaging with your content. It was a hard lesson to learn how to go back and start from scratch again. Yeah. Yeah. When you do get it right, you get that content focusing on the right spot. It does something amazing, which is it helps reduce the friction of the buying process. We sell software and we get some really great results, sometimes unbelievable results with our clients. And the market, it is a little tired of buying software at this point. A lot of people have heard a lot of things. They've tried a lot of things. There's definitely a degree of skepticism when you can create some good content for people who are right on that precipice where they need to smooth things out. They don't want to have to go searching around for answers to their questions. So much of that buying process for us, our sales cycles are fairly long in some cases. And so much of that buying process is happening outside of our team's direct line of sight, direct ability to influence or to communicate. Anything you can do, you do an amazing job with how you, you sell some of your ad space. You reduce the friction so much, it makes it so easy. If I could, I'd probably go buy a whole bunch of it. Yeah, I appreciate the comment. I have to give credit to dude. That was my marketing team that put that together. And Cohen, I thought it was a bad idea. And so I was going to let them fail so they would learn their lesson. <laughs> Without even promoting it, when they turned it on on the website the very first day we started selling stuff. So number one, I was wrong. So I don't know if this audience should remember that because that means you probably should not take marketing advice from me. Take sales advice from me, but not marketing advice. But number two, exactly to your point, what my marketing team hypothesized was that we had a group of potential buyers that didn't want to talk to salespeople, that just wanted to do the transaction, not have a calendar invite for a call all that stuff. And they were right. We have a group of people that buy from us that just want to do the transaction. And so we made it frictionless for them and it was very successful. Yeah. I mean, there's been a huge shift in how people buy online. I mean, you look at like just ordering a pizza. You don't need to talk to somebody. I think that there's kind of a throwback to like the 1-800 numbers. You could call 1-800 number. You could learn something without having to talk to somebody because you don't want that high pressure sales. And 75% or something like that of people are already through the buyer's journey before they pick up the phone and talk to somebody. And if you can do things to curate the content because everybody's busy to help move it forward, like you said, Cohen, to get those people right on the edge and push them forward. But also like if someone's ready to buy, like let them buy. 
why do you need to stand in the way of doing that? And I interviewed somebody that's on like the Google team. And this was right during COVID, what was hitting into it. And the number one recommendation they made was every business should figure out how to put a cart on their website. Even if they sell a service-based business, like because more people are using online, they want to go through the whole buying cycle online or, or a lot more people do, not everybody, right? Like, but it's certainly a trend. Yeah. Code, I want to bring you back. So you talked about the triple wind. How do y'all go about finding that other partner? That's somebody that you can share the work with where y'all both benefit. Like what's that process look like? Actually, for us, for the most part, it's happened largely on kind of a referral basis, right? We hear about a company doing some great work. Darcy Partners comes to mind, right? And so I hear about that. First thing I want to go do, check it out, see if they have the trust of the market, which from what I've seen, they do. And then you put your best foot forward and you just remember it's a people thing. So just reaching out, engaging. Hey, can we participate in this event? Just like with sales, you're going to get a lot of no's. No, we're not going to do that. No, we don't do hosted webinar. You guys can't promote this. You can do that. Exploring that and go checking it out instead of just dropping a profile on a page and leaving it there. Yeah, go chat with them if you can. But yeah, in terms of finding those places, it's word of mouth. And same way I think I got in contact with you. Somebody had mentioned, hey, you got to check out this OGGN. Sure enough, check it out. See some of the stuff you're putting forward. And I think, yeah, Mark seems like a cool guy. It seems like he's getting some good stuff going on. And it seems like he's first and foremost, he's bringing value to the same people I want to bring value to. That's the secret. I didn't pay Cohen to say that. (laughs) But I will give Darcy a plug ourselves. They are a good company. I don't know if you met Hussein, but when I first met them, his mother on Fridays would come in and cook lunch for the entire team. Like, how cool a company culture is that when the CEO's mom is coming in and cooking for the entire company once a week? I love those guys over there. They're doing some really great work. So here's another question. A lot of people, especially in oil and gas, are fiercely competitive, fiercely protective of what they're doing. And they see other companies that are in or near their space as pure competition, and they want nothing to do with them. And Matt and I have this idea that even though other companies may be doing the same thing that Matt and I are doing, like there's other sales and marketing podcasts out there, that doesn't mean that we can't work together because they have a slightly different audience than we have. They would probably like exposure to our audiences and we would like exposure to their audiences. So how do you feel about working with semi-competitors, even up to direct competitors? I think you got to do it. But if you're going to play the game, go play the game. And do you want to keep everybody off the court? So it's boring to play, boring to watch, boring to participate in? No, you want to have some of that healthy interaction. And again, we happen to run into this quite often where there's overlap between, we got, like you said, kind of a semi-competitor. So we can do some things really, really well, but they can also do some of those things really well. However, there's going to be some type of synergy. There's going to be some type of opportunity for you to move forward together. And if you can do that, Well, now your shared client, your shared team, they're going to get 100 points on the board instead of 75. Yeah, for us, it's a must. It's a must to keep that dialogue open. Yeah, and I agree. And I think as we go through time, it's interesting to watch. I keep saying this new younger workforce, but the oldest millennials now in their 40s. And so now we're talking the Gen C guys and girls. They are so much more collaborative than my generation was that it's just natural for them to work together, even with their competitors. And I actually think that is an amazing thing from a business culture point of view. I never really did like the us versus them mentality. And that can be taken to the extreme. If you look at like what's going on in say politics here in the U S it's ridiculous, regardless of what your political beliefs are, you want to get something accomplished. I love the fact that this new younger workforce is starting to collaborate much more back to your triple threat. So we talked about working with other companies that are in your space. We talked about working with maybe even competitors, 
But the benefit to the client for the customer that you have in common is immense because now you're bringing the problem solving and thought leadership from two different companies together to focus on this one client. That has to be amazing for them as well. Yeah, yeah, it really is. When you get a few more perspectives around the table, it makes everybody better. It's going to make us better. I'm going to be able to say, hey, have you guys thought about doing this? And maybe they're a semi-competitor. Maybe they're just a great synergy as a partner. You help highlight maybe where you have some gaps. You help get a new perspective on where you can bring value. And for the client, you can think about it like you've now got two organizations that are fighting to bring you value. And for our perspective, we don't want to close any deals just for the sake of closing them. It actually doesn't benefit anybody if we close a deal that we don't think is going to be a good fit. It's going to burn our time. It's going to burn the client's time. It actually also helps you qualify each other and validate. And again, in the software space, people, they need some ability to trust you and to validate that trust. And so getting a few more people around the table really helps with that. Yeah. It's a half of my sales audience gasp when you said sometimes you don't want to close a deal, but it's true. In my career, I've closed deals that we shouldn't have. And the cost, both financially and emotionally, of dealing with that, those bad deals is just not worth it. And salespeople, I know you have a quota to meet. And I know you have commissions and obligations, but sometimes you got to just walk away. One of the other things that I love about this triple play idea is, so you're bringing the best and brightest. You're bringing multi-perspectives, multi-books of knowledge and experience to help the client solve a problem. The client actually benefits from this. But how do you structure these type of deals? How does Ironsight structure these type of deals internally? So from a sales point of view, traditionally, if we have a partner on a sale, we end up ahead of time figuring out some way to split whatever the profits are, the revenue or the commission or whatever. From a marketing point of view, how do you work that tactically when you work with a different company? Well, for me, it's mostly from a marketing perspective being, let's go find somebody that's aggregating content or knowledge or something along those lines. And let's go be a piece of that content. We kind of play into that space. So there's typically, at least when it's taking it from a marketing perspective, I'm not trying to split win, split commissions, split sales, split any type of thing like that. Really what I'm saying is like, I want to actually bring you some value. And if that works for you and you see the value and I see the relationships you have in the industry and the value that you bring, you're going to bring an amazing experience and you're going to put together an amazing event much better than I can. But an event has to have some people there. It's got to have some interesting points. So that's really how I approach it there. In terms of like on the the sales side of things, and for us, when it's like working with other software companies, that varies quite a bit. We don't have each deal that's so unique where we've got this like really well-defined structure and we don't want to break from it. So yeah, it varies. Yeah, each engagement is going to be unique anyway, right? If I read between your lines, it sounds like sometimes one of the things you do is offer just to produce content to help the other company. That's worth a lot because that's the hardest thing. Even though earlier we talked about it doesn't cost you anything, what it does cost you is time. So by you volunteering to write content, that's be something super valuable to the company you're trying to partner with. Yeah. Yeah. And the best and easiest content for us is just existing. (laughs) So if Ironsight in the market as is, is bringing value and I can help connect and help a partner see that value, then really the content is them getting to learn more about us, me sharing a little bit more. Sometimes you don't even need to go so far as to start writing articles and doing that kind of thing. It's really like they know who you are and they see value. You know who they are, they see value. And you also get to share that and spread that across your clients. So we'll bring some names and faces to the table as a part of that. Again, it's just building those relationships. And when it's a triple win, the incentive is that you found a win for all three people. It doesn't need to necessarily be monetary. It doesn't need to necessarily be hard work even. 
All right, Cohen. So we lost Matt. I think he can still hear us, but because we lost him and he, we can't hear him completely, we're going to just give him all the action items at the end of the show because he can't say no. So triple win for everybody. I love where you're going with that. Ironsight. If people don't know what Ironsight does, let's give them a little bit of background and help them understand more of what we talked about today. So what does Ironsight do? Yeah. Yeah. So at a high level, Ironsight is connecting the office in the field for field operations. There's lots of software that helps people schedule, document, and analyze, do all kinds of stuff. But what's that field experience like? You need that field adoption. So we connect the office in the field in that sense. And then we also connect, there's a lot of siloed systems. So you're creating loads of data across the board and none of those networks speak to each other. So we want to move the right information from, let's say you've got a rock somewhere. We want to move that information from your command center out to the field so your team can go take action. We want to document what actually goes on in the field. And then we want to push that back out to the end systems that are needed. So kind of like a combination of like a project management tool mixed with something like Uber Eats or something like that, except you're not ordering food, you're ordering your field services. And the approach we've taken is we use kind of what we think is the fundamental workflow that any field service is going to use. So that's requesting work, scheduling the work, going and doing it, documenting it, and then reviewing that work afterwards. And by taking that approach to what we do, it lets us be really configurable to handle all types of different services, all types of different activities. Yeah. A couple of super important things you just rattled off I want to back up on. So the first one is configurable instead of customizable. And if you don't know what that means, that literally means it's drag and drop. You can design what works best for you. The other thing is, are you kidding me? Only gas industry has siloed data? No way. Like everything is siloed in this (laughs) industry. It always has been. It's it's ridiculous. And y'all being able to help with that is huge. And then bottom line is, and actually was having this discussion yesterday, bottom line is if you can't help the guys in the field, your tool will not be adopted. And one of the things I love about what y'all do is it's so easy to use and it's so intuitive that the guys in the field see the value in using the tool, which means that the company adopt it and you get to improve all the different metrics. Which, by the way, if you're listening to what Cohen's saying, it sounds like he's just improving efficiencies in the field. It's way more than that. It's everything from HS&E metrics lost time instances, you know, for sure, if you have to roll a truck at three in the morning, or if you don't have to roll a truck at three in the morning, it's making a huge difference. And I think Cohen, I'm guessing here, but I think a lot of your clients were probably the smaller service companies that are out there. And by giving them this enterprise level tool, you're allowing them to compete with some of the bigger companies that have the budget to do their own type of stuff in-house. Yeah. So we actually, when we got our start and up until very recently, we've really focused our commercial offering actually on the other side of the network, which is the large, we call it demand and supply. So demand for us being the people that need to go get work done. That's typically going to be like an energy producer, midstream company, something along those lines. And then they would take our software and then they would go and say, okay, all of our service providers, this is how we're going to start managing work, documenting what's going on. Here you go. Here's this tool for the service providers. It's free. Right. But we have to get adoption in the field 100 percent because there's also the element of like these service companies didn't necessarily go choose to use Ironsight at that point. Now, recently, we've been starting to open up the ability for the service providers to manage multiple clients and clients that aren't even on Ironsight in the first place. So before it was like you get onboarded by Big EMP and you can only use Ironsight for that that EMP. Now we've opened the gates where you're a service provider. You can now start to use it still for that EMP if that's how you got introduced to Ironsight. But you can go and, and quickly add all your other clients and start to use this tool for them as well. 
to your point about getting adoption in the field, it's the same thing. We need to be able to get adoption in the field for people that didn't necessarily choose to use the software or make that purchase decision. We need to get adoption from service companies. We have to show them value and make their lives easier. And we also have to do the same for some of the world's biggest companies. And I know this is a sales and marketing podcast, not the technology podcast, but I do want to talk a little bit more about the tech stack in that a lot of our listeners work for the large service companies, the mid-sized, smaller operators. So one of the things I know that people are in their heads are going right now before they go check out your website is, do I have to forklift anything? Do I have to get rid of any of my old technology that I bought, that I've invested time and money in to actually work with Ironsight? Can we just bring Ironsight in? That'll be situation dependent. So it depends on if you want to double up or maybe you bring in a piece of software for a very, very specific use case. And it's not one you want to pay us to replace, but it varies quite a bit. So for a lot of companies, the case is typically no, because they're using paper. They're using a lot of paper, a lot of phone calls, a lot of group chats, a lot of Excel spreadsheets in the sense of getting rid of those things. You're probably almost always going to start shedding some of that weight when it comes to other technologies. Like if you have just a purely dedicated, just to only a forms documentation thing. We might replace that. If you have a ticketing software, we might replace that. If you have the field extension for like a CMMS or ERP, we'll probably replace that. There's a lot of things we can replace. One of the trickiest things that we run into, and this is usually for the mid to large size companies, is they've already started building, typically attempting to build their own version of what we do with much more limited scope. And when you've put $30 million into doing something like that, that's really challenging to go and it's a lot of sunk cost. So yeah, maybe, hey, if you spent $30 million on that solution and we can come in and maybe we'll charge you $2 million and you know it'll work right away and you can get it going. What a great segue back to sales. So a lot of companies out there that sell technology only has to run into the same problem where the company that you're trying to sell to has already invested money into their own solution. And we all know that it probably is not going to be very good and it's going to be expensive and you can have a maintenance cost. You may even have a bunch of app dev guys on payroll just to keep everything running. So let me tell you what you really need to get around when you're in that position. It's not so much the money the companies invest it, but that will be the first thing you hear. It's that it's people's jobs and people's reputation in the company. Nobody wants to be the guy to spend $30 million to company's money and come to find out they have to do something else. So from a sales point of view, you got to find who those people are that was champions of that original investment and make friends with them and start showing them the benefits. And then all you really need to do, you don't want to forklift and replace the initial install because that's not going to work culturally. Somebody's going to get mad. Somebody's losing a job. All you want to do is get a little piece of the business and show them how you can help them. Then what happens is the company's own users of your tool see the benefit versus their inside tool, and they will start adopting it themselves without ruffling any feathers. It takes some time. You got to have heightened time awareness. It takes a couple of years, but you can come in and replace existing investments. But what you can't do is make them forklift it right away. That will never, never work. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That is typically how we'll go about when we kick off a deal and we get implementation. We want to start to exactly where's like the lowest friction point for us to start that's going to bring the most amount of value. So what's the lightest lift for both of our teams to get us in the door, start seeing some results. And then where are we going after that as well? And roughly, what does that timeline look like? But it's also going to change as you get in there, right? You're going to get feedback from your team. You're going to realize, oh, wow, we can actually use it for this use case. And we want to go focus there. And the upstream side of the demand side for us, there's massive operations. There's typically some place we can go in and get a good start. Yeah. All right, time to wind the show down. We're going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes, both to Cohen's LinkedIn profile and also to Ironsight. But real quick, Cohen, if people wanted to reach out to Ironsight and they're not going to go to the show notes, where do they go? 
Yeah, you're going to want to go to www.ironsight.app or hop onto LinkedIn, look for Ironsight Technologies. Those are going to be two great places to find us. Yeah. And people, if you have any need for field service type of stuff, check them out. They're just good people and they do great work. All right. Since Matt's not here, it looks like I got to do all the rest of this stuff myself. One of the things, remind the audience to sign up for our two newsletters. We have our Sunday update, which includes everything from recipes from the oil field from 80 or 100 years ago to humor, to quick video updates, some information to help you in your oil and gas work week coupons. So just check out our Sunday update, Cohen. I'll tell you the story again. Once again, my marketing team brought me the idea of starting another newsletter. Once again, I thought that was a stupid idea because when I hear a newsletter, I think spam. Once again, I let them do it on their own to fail. And not only did they not fail, they went from zero to 21,000 subscribers in six weeks for our Sunday update. Isn't that crazy? Whew. Yeah, that's a spectacular failure. <laughs> yeah. So once again, that's why I'm on the sales side of this podcast, not the marketing side of this podcast. So go check that out. The links are in the show notes. We also have an oil and gas events newsletter. If you're in sales and marketing, it's super useful. It lets you know where all the oil and gas events are around the world. Plus, a lot of times there's free coupons that nobody else gets to get you in those events for nothing. Matt and I's, all our social profile links are also in the show notes. We're still working on our insiders group, our mastermind group for oil and gas sales and marketing professionals. We're going to be launching that early next year. Now it's time for the LinkedIn fail or tip of the week. And Matt actually brought this up, even though he's not on here. It was a great one as far as a fail. If you have a LinkedIn profile, make sure you verify that. And it's really a simple process. For me, it was all a matter of just uploading my driver's license and taking a selfie. And then LinkedIn looked at that to make sure I really was who I said I was. And now my profile is verified. And Cohen, I actually noticed about a 30% uptick in activity on my post on LinkedIn after verifying my profile. So it absolutely gives you a little bit more reach. It costs you nothing. And we've all been hit by the spammers on LinkedIn. This helps LinkedIn prevent people from making up fake profiles and hit you up to try to sell you stuff. So that's our LinkedIn tip of the week is to make sure you verify your LinkedIn profile. All right, Cohen, it was great having you on the show. Uh, we're going to have to get you back on the show. Maybe we even when Matt's bandwidth is a little bit better so he can participate. But thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, of course, I'm going to plug everybody go check out Ironsight. Check us out next week for another enriching and cheeky episode of Oil and Gas Sales and Marketing Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.